You are listening to a Himal South Asian podcast. As India heads towards the last phase of its month-long general elections, the results of the polls are being keenly anticipated, not just by its citizens, but also by many others in South Asia. Close links between the peoples and politicians of India and its regional neighbours means that the political landscape of the region's largest country has considerable impact on its neighbourhood. Given worrying developments, such as the rise of majoritarian politics not just in India but in several South Asian countries, the electoral outcome could affect the fate of their shared challenges as well. Himal South Asian spoke to celebrated photographer, journalist and activist Shahidul Alam about what the Indian elections mean to South Asia in general and Bangladesh in particular. Alam, who was incarcerated for over 100 days by the Bangladesh government under the Repressive Information and Communication Technology Act and is now out on bail, reflects on the shifting perception of India and Bangladesh, new challenges to democracies in the region and the need for South Asian solidarity. Hi, Shahidul. Thank you so much for joining us for the Himal South Asian podcast. We're trying to take a South Asian look at the ongoing Indian elections. And recently we had uh, Parvez Hudboy writing about the Indian elections from Pakistan. And we thought we could get a Bangladeshi perspective on the elections as well. Because, of course, apart from the keen observations of the elections worldwide, they have a special impact on South Asia. Can you tell us how the elections are being viewed by the different sections in Bangladesh today? Well, firstly, I, I need to confess I'm no political analyst, uh, but yeah, I'm a Bangladeshi, so I can pitch in. Uh, it's obviously very, very significant because India is perceived and generally accepted as being the big brother of Bangladesh. And um, we do say if uh, India sneezes, then we catch a cold. Um, so what's happening is being assessed by pretty much everyone. Uh, one of the things we've joked about is whether um, the Modi government might have learned a trick or two from ours. But looking at how things are happening, we feel that, uh, at least in relative terms, the Indian democratic process is much more robust than ours is. Uh, and it would be unlikely for there to be as blatant um, uh, hijacking. Uh, but the tweaking obviously does happen. But it's it's very interesting. Um, there are several parallels as well. I mean, on the one hand, it is very individual based in the sense that it is not about the party so much. It's about Modi. And it seems to be a binary choice between Modi and Rahul, which uh, determines things happening at our end as well. You know, the individuals have become far more important than the party itself. Uh, but um, if we look at the overall shifts, um, some of the things we are looking at uh, are different in the sense that security seems to be coming to the fore to a far greater extent, the Pulwama incident. At our end, uh, while security has been such an important issue, it's much more an internal security thing. And at the end of the day, it didn't matter at all because the elections did not require the, the citizen. You've talked about a couple of significant issues about these elections right now, but to take the issue of similarities and dissimilarities between Bangladesh and India, 
Uh, you were saying that India is being seen as the big brother and perhaps even being seen as a country which uh, provided leadership to the region in the year, early years after independence in terms of setting up a democratic structure which was seen to some extent as being successful in terms of expanding civil rights, political rights and human rights. Do you think that this is something which Bangladeshi civil society still feels that it is looking to India for? That is a very interesting uh, perspective in the sense that um, you know, obviously India's role in 1971 is without doubt uh, something that we all recognize and reflect upon and are grateful for. However, uh, one forgets um, that uh, India has shifted a lot from that. Uh, today, if there was a cricket match um, in between Pakistan and India, and I find that a, a good indicator because cricket is so uh, special to all of us. Um, given the histories um, of the subcontinent, given the role that Pakistan and India played, today in a cricket match between India and Pakistan, we would have a fairly divided uh, crowd, which is unbelievable. Uh, and that relates to how far India has lost its goodwill. Um, you're absolutely right uh, that we had a lot to learn. And even today, I think the Indian democratic process is much more robust than ours is. You actually have an election commissioner that has some metal. In our case, it's uh, all the institutions have been completely destroyed. So that's partly happened in India, too. But yes, I, I do agree that there are things we have to learn from. But by and large, the big brother phenomenon is what everyone looks at. And... India is a bad word here. So why do you think India has become a bad word or a curse word in Bangladesh in just a couple of decades? Why do you think the perception of India has changed so much? Firstly, I think it has to do with India being so insular. And that's not just about Bangladesh. India's relationship with all its neighbors. Um, Pakistan, of course, is a special case. But Nepal, Bhutan, Sri Lanka, Bangladesh, uh, there is resentment in all these countries for very valid reasons. The meddling that India has done in all our economies and all our democracies is despicable. But uh, more significantly, I think India doesn't really recognize uh, uh, or try to understand its neighbors. In Bangladesh's case, we're an agrarian economy and nothing matters more to the farmer in the field than water. Yet. Uh, despite all these years, despite all the promises that were made in 1971, we've still not had anywhere near an equitable water sharing system. Uh, and that rankles the Bangladeshi farm and therefore the Bangladeshi public far more than anything else. And when I talk to my Indian friends, progressive, knowledgeable friends, they seem to be unaware of this. Even journalists seem largely to be unaware of other is a more recent phenomenon, the fact that India has actually been meddling very, very seriously in Bangladeshi politics, in uh, Bangladeshi economy. And if you look at the things that have been happening, say the Rampal power project, where India feels coal is bad for India, yet it's happy to export it to Bangladesh. Uh, and the Indian concessions that have been made by successive Bangladeshi governments, particularly the present one, is, is diabolical. I mean, we, we are selling out our land uh, to our neighbors. If you look at general opinion in Bangladesh, India ranks very, very low. 
You've talked about India's negative role, it's uh, meddling in politics and economy in Bangladesh. If we talk about the economy first, uh, obviously given the trade relationship and the interdependencies, the flow of labor, the two countries have very close ties economically. And you say India is not very concerned about its neighborhood. What do you think is the impact of these elections on Bangladesh? Well, firstly, uh, the we need to separate that. I mean, we were talking about elections and that obviously um, links it to a particular party. But by and large, Indian policy towards Bangladesh has been negative regardless of which political party has been in power. Um, so we need to be able to disengage that. There was a time when one felt that uh, if, with Modi coming in, perhaps uh, the relationship between Bangladesh and India might shift because earlier it was the Congress, which had been very close to uh, the ruling party here. That hasn't happened. I mean, it's been a fairly smooth transition in that sense. I mean, whichever government in India comes into power, the, uh, the patron-like relationship between our two countries remains the same. But I started talking about, say, Rampal. I mean, you, you look at the Sundarbans, um, you know, uh, a UNESCO heritage site, the fact that a coal-powered power plant is being built largely by India using Indian coal, and it is felt here largely for Indian interest. Uh, and that regardless of public opinion in Bangladesh, and there have been huge protests in Bangladesh about this, um, that our government simply doesn't care. And that suggests that it doesn't have the metal to um, question India in any way. I'll give you simple examples as well. When activists uh, were protesting about Rampal and wanted to present a letter to the Indian High Commission, uh, the way they were treated by the High Commission. This is a foreign High Commission in Bangladesh treating some of our finest citizens in such a cavalier manner. It, it's unheard of. The government-to-government -government relationship is, of course, something which uh, we as citizens can't influence. But you've also pointed to something else which is disturbing, that your friends in India seem to be hardly aware of what's happening in Bangladesh. And I remember being in Dhaka in March this year when uh, Arundhati Roy spoke at the Chobi Mela, which you had organized. And somebody in the audience asked about the Indian civil society's lack of engagement with uh, Bangladesh. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think it's, um, you know, the big brotherly approach by the government percolates down to a grassroots level. And to, to that extent, uh, I don't think in civil society, the neighboring countries are taken so seriously. Um, one of the things which uh, you were talking about earlier, one of the things we did at that time, that was the time when um, India Pakistan were approaching war. Uh, and um, one of the things we did during Chobimala is that statement of solidarity for peace the South Asian statement for solidarity. I think this is the time when we really need to, uh, in a sense, assert ourselves sufficiently. There are very fine people on both sides of the border who want to work together, who can look beyond uh, this very narrow uh, nationalistic, jingoistic approach. Uh, but we are not the voices that are being heard. And I think uh, it is time that we created a greater solidarity between those like-minded people. So uh, we do not allow our nations to be hijacked 
To get back to the issue of the Indian elections, you made the important distinction between the approach of the Indian state towards Bangladesh and the continuity of approaches despite the change of governments. In that context, do you think the outcome of the ongoing Indian elections will have an impact on Bangladesh or not really? Well, one issue which is very significant and that applies to BJP in particular is the religion card, the, the fact that uh, one of the things we've looked up to was that India was a secular nation. India no longer appears to behave like a secular nation. Uh, that obviously affects um, people at this side as well. Uh, you know, obviously the Babri Masjid incident provoked reactions at this end. Luckily, we've not had riots for a long time, but with the lynchings that are taking place in India and the hostility towards Muslims, the blatant hostility towards Muslims, uh, there will be a reverse reaction here and it feeds the extremists at this end. It gives, um, it adds fuel to the vitriol that they uh, provoke. Uh, and that is very worrying. I think at uh, uh, an economic level, perhaps India will continue to be big brother, whichever government comes into power, and it will um, exercise control over us until we can get rid of spineless governments at our end. And I can't see that happening very quickly. Uh, we will continue to be um, subservient to India. But the religion card is a very, very important one. And I think uh, India, going back to secular India, is very, very important, certainly for Bangladesh and I think for the region. It's very interesting what you're saying about the religion card because Parvez Woodboy wrote about it as well in his recent article for us. And one interesting thing that he points out is though it, it might seem that Pakistan's political leadership would seize on the atrocities against Muslims committed in India with the complicity of the Indian state and protest about it. Strangely, neither the Pakistan government nor the political leadership, nor what he termed the virulent Urdu press, were commenting on it because perhaps there's almost a comfort level in the fact that India too was becoming like Pakistan in its attitude towards minorities. Have there been protests in Bangladesh about the treatment of Muslims in India or is the political leadership in Bangladesh or its civil society saying very much about it? Well, protests themselves are difficult now. I mean, we are in a very repressive environment. There is a climate of fear. And uh, I mean, just this morning, I, I looked at the news reports uh, on Dorshavela where um, a lawyer had been set upon inside jail and he died. And he'd been arrested because he'd made negative comments against the prime minister. Uh, now, this is getting to extreme levels. So while there are not as many protests, but if you look at the pulse, if you listen to people, if you, if you listen to the unsaid, uh, you will recognize the huge amount of resentment uh, about India, particularly uh, about the situation of Muslims. Uh, but um, it's very dangerous to talk against India in Bangladesh today, uh, merely because of the power dynamics. So while that might be the opinion, that's not something that will be vocalized. You've pointed to the repression in Bangladesh and you yourself have been victim to it and stood up against it and continue to stand up against it with great courage. 
But why doesn't the Bangladeshi government or the political leadership or the state take up these issues with the Indian government? Well, I'm a cynic in those terms. I I don't think, um, you know, if you look at uh, how one perceives interest should be, one hopes that, uh, at least within politicians, it should be national interest first um, and personal interest last. It seems to be exactly the other way around. I mean, personal interest seems to be the only thing that matters. A national interest can go where it can. Um, so what you suggest would be based on moral, ethical reasons. I don't think either of those are part of the equation. Uh, the reason uh, the political parties kowtow to India is because they need India for their survival. And while that's the case, they will do the bidding, whatever the bidding might be. Um, so the interest of the nation never enters the equation here. Um, and uh, to that extent, uh, I think that is what separates our, our political parties from the public itself. The public is completely enraged by uh, this subservient approach. Uh, yet A is scared of saying anything and B almost accepts that uh, that's the way it's going to be because India is big brother and there's no easy way in which we can change things. That's absolutely true and I couldn't agree with you more. I think the political leadership across most of South Asia leaves a lot to be desired. One is almost reminded of Brecht's lines about dismissing the people and electing another rather than dismissing the government. Could you comment briefly on whether you think the elections in India would have an impact on the idea of South Asia? Uh, again, I'm not an expert, but um, India is a big country uh, in many ways, and it's obviously a very important country. I think the role that India plays in South Asia is crucial for South Asia's uh, survival and South Asia's uh, progress. Uh, SARC was never allowed to uh, be effective because of the role that India played. Um, one hopes that a less jingoistic Indian leadership would allow uh, that greater solidarity to take place. One hopes that Indian leadership would have greater confidence in itself to allow uh, the plurality of our region uh, to blossom. Uh, I don't see that happening very easily, but uh, in clinical terms, perhaps uh, Modi being replaced by a less uh, uh, jingoistic uh, and less fundamentalist uh, leader would allow a certain degree of solidarity to take place in South Asia, something that's much needed. Well, I think many of us in South Asia certainly hope for that and at least if not a change in leadership, then at least having a party in power which doesn't have such a powerful role that it can't be restricted so that civil rights and political rights can find space. I, I do think we as citizens have a role to play. Uh, it, it's not sufficient for us to stand back and be fatalistic and accept that that is the way it's going to be. I think. Uh, there are very fine people and minds across these borders, and I think we need to be united. We need to work together. We need to demonstrate to our governments that they cannot get away with what they're doing. And I think that South Asian citizen solidarity is something that we need to build upon. Uh, and at the end of the day, 
we need to question our governments from a position of strength and it's our solidarity that will give us strength. Absolutely. And I hope we can all work towards that. Let's conclude on that hopeful note. And thank you very much, Aydul, for joining us today for the Himal podcast. For more Himal podcasts, go to himalmag.com slash podcasts.